0: Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, what to watch to measure success at the Pentagon's new AI Council.
1: Topics change in the Pentagon. So I would look at the services. What have the services done to align with whatever's happening here?
0: And turning a corner on the transition at the TSP.
2: It is, in fact, working. You know, we have processed... Forty-five thousand loans in the month. We've we've processed three hundred and twenty-two thousand.
0: It's Tuesday, July fifth, twenty twenty-two. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. As promised on this program last week, the Polaris solicitations opened again from the General Services Administration. GSA put the contract on hold in May after a pre-award protest. Respondents have until August 10th to submit bid proposals. Agencies have a July 22nd deadline from the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency to fix a Microsoft bug. Guidance CISA published Friday says hackers could exploit the bug to take over a Windows domain. The guidance says agencies should apply Microsoft's June patch right away. You can read more about these stories and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. The results are in for the best bosses in federal IT. Leaders from government and industry are among the winners. You can find a link to see the list and read more about each of the winners. In today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. A new governing body will oversee the development of artificial intelligence projects in the Defense Department. The Chief Digital and AI Office Governing Council will replace the AI Executive Steering Group. John Zangardi is Chief Executive Officer of Red Horse Corporation. He's former Chief Information Officer at the Department of Homeland Security and former Principal Deputy CIO at DOD. John, welcome. It's great to talk to you again. I quote from my colleague Brandy Vinson's piece about this at fedscoop.com. The Chief Digital and AI Office's Governing Council, a four-star level governance body run by this newly established office, the CDAO office, that falls under the Deputy Secretary of Defense, has replaced the former AI Executive Steering Group, which was a three-star level governance body led by the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center. What's the difference? What does that mean in kind of uh, more civilian parlance? And what's the significance of this three-star to four-star shift? Welcome, John.
1: Thank you, Francis. Uh, Glad to be here and happy day after 4th of July to you. Uh, Right. I I agree with you. Sometimes when uh, people in the government say things, it doesn't really translate adequately into a common vernacular of English. Anyhow, I, I, on one hand, I am really thrilled to see that they have elevated – their emphasis in DoD to the four-star level. So three-star level is great, but at the four-star level, that's really a higher level engagement. And that's where horsepower could take place at a lot of different levels, you know, working with OSDC on funding and CAPE on the on the funding piece too, but also working across the, the services. A governance body halt, though, doesn't necessarily imply that there's authority. It could just be a coalition of the willing to get things done. And, you know, Francis, my my view on life is always less about policy and more about execution. So I, I think the challenge here is how do you translate this governance body function at the four star level into actual execution? That's one of the challenges. But the concern that always rolls in the back of my mind for someone who worked as a deputy assistant secretary of Navy for IT and space acquisition the Navy is, is this adding a new hurdle to the process? Does this mean that in addition to everybody else that I got to take an ACAP 1D program through, you know, a very large program, have I now just added another hurdle to the whole thing? And what does that hurdle mean in terms of speed to acquisition, right? So one of the concerns we have in industry and I had while I was in government is, how fast can I get innovation out to the people, the warfighter who are actually doing it? So. On one hand, I think it's really great that they're putting the emphasis and, so to speak, the the money where it counts. Hopefully they are giving it the right authorities and hopefully it will not slow down our ability to acquire new technologies to implement AI where it needs to be implemented for the warfighter.
0: All right. You framed it as a rhetorical question, John, which is fair. How do you translate policy into execution? What's the execution implementation there? How do you actually do that, John?
1: Well, you know execution implementation is, is always a challenge uh, so as you're working a program through OSD you know you're going to have to brief you know the, the milestone decision authority and prior to briefing the milestone decision authority which in this case would be the undersecretary for acquisition and sustainment you're going to have to work it through the staff on the third deck or OSD which means compromises challenges questions a lot of briefs it just takes time and and that's really where where my my concern and the challenge lies for uh, Martel who's taking over the CDIOs How can he influence things without slowing things down? That's the challenge.
0: The broader challenge, it seems to me, too, is, and I'm not implying that Craig Martell and John Sherman don't have a great relationship. I don't know. I'm not inside the building. Mm -hmm. Both of them say their relationship is strong. At some point in the future, though, if the CIO and the CDAO, if, if there's some kind of a challenge in the communications and interoperability of those offices, that's another potential stumbling block, isn't it, John?
1: Uh, I I don't know uh, Craig Smartell, but I do know John Sherman well enough to know. uh, He's a gentleman who will go out of his way to make sure that the wheels of government are greased appropriately to get things done. So I have confidence in in John. I also know that Margie Palmieri is a deputy in the CBAO placement. don't know if you know this, but she's an old Navy hand, used to be on the Navy staff. And I'm pretty confident that, you know, she will work very closely with uh, uh, John Sherman and Kelly Fletcher over in the CIO office to get things done. So I, I feel confident that the people will make it happen. The question is the people under them and the processes that are naturally uh, part of the Pentagon. Remember, uh, the Pentagon, one of the things that really is good at is bureaucracy.
0: Yeah, and that's that's actually what I'm thinking about as you're talking about those people and I'm thinking about what I know about their backgrounds, what I know about their abilities, their talents, skills, all of that hundred percent capability there. And, and I the term that came to mind is how do those folks effectively hack the bureaucracy even before you said that last thought? The Pentagon's really good at creating bureaucracy. That's really the key here, isn't it, John?
1: Yeah, I mean, okay, so Francis, when you, when you really think about it, this, this is going to sound maybe shrill, or, but I'll say it anyhow. Um, when you think of power, uh, you know, some people think of power in, in the government as having a lot of people work for you. I think the true power in the government is the ability to say no, right, to get what you want. Well, I'll give you this yes if you do the X. So that's how you drive more requirements into program that's how you take time up. So that is really the key. Are there going to be a lot of people finding reasons to say no, and oh, by the way, uh, I am not implying that there are people in the government who are out to slow things down i think that they have serious concerns but sometimes it takes leadership at the sherman Martel level kelly fletcher rg palmieri level to, to work through those challenges that will come up and speed things up it requires leadership and like you said that collaboration between those two organizations
0: out of respect to the pentagon's affinity for bureaucracy is there some type of bureaucratic structure that you think should exist or be built between the CIO office and the CDAO office to ensure that those results happen over time, that somebody else doesn't force a bureaucracy or a structure on them that winds up not helping them, that winds up not being constructive?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I, I I'm hesitant to tell people what to do in a job that I'm no longer in, (laughs) Francis. But I would encourage, you know, John and uh, Craig to get together, maybe on a weekly or bi-weekly basis to talk through issues. And I would assume that, you know, the CIO council would be, would welcome with open arms, the right representative from CDO and obviously vice versa. Uh, It's through communication that you you break down those barriers. And I would even take it a step further that if uh, John or Craig is meeting with industry, they, they might, you know, look for opportunity to meet with them together.
0: How would you measure results? How would you look at this a year from now or two years from now and evaluate whether you've gotten the results out of it that you'd like to?
1: Yeah, um, so that's a tough one uh, because you know topics change in the Pentagon. So I would look at the services. What have the services done to align with whatever's happening here? So you have things like JADC2, Joint All-Domain Command and Control, which is going to employ AI. How quickly? how expediently is the jadc to not program effort bringing in artificial intelligence and how quickly is that an accelerant what they're doing rather than something that slows it down that would be one method that i would look at how programs are executing that how are programs, programs are record that are beyond critical design review, bringing in artificial intelligence to get that new technology going? How are contracts that are coming out, you know, for enterprise networks, implementing cleans that specifically allow for the implementation of AI? So a lot of different ways, but the last way I would be very interested in seeing what happens is, hey, how are we bringing in the right talent who understands this and could actually provide government the expertise to manage these things in an industry fashion, not in a government fashion.
0: John Zangardi, great to talk to you as always, my friend. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Francis. Always a pleasure.
0: You can read more about the new AI Council in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of The Daily Scoop Podcast, coming on Wednesday's show, The Future of the Federal Workplace. The Commissioner of the Public Building Service at the General Services Administration, Nina Albert, is here. That episode debuts tomorrow afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. The Thrift Savings Plan is still sorting through some challenges from its transition to a new record-keeping system, but more participants than ever are setting up accounts and getting through to the call center when they need help. Kim Weaver's Director of External Affairs at the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board. Kim, welcome. Thanks for coming back on the show. Your Converge system did present some go-live challenges. Where are you now in mitigating those and getting people the information and access they need? Welcome.
2: Thank you, Francis. It's good to be here. Um, well, as you said, we we now have about 1.2 million participants who have set up logins. Um, and in any given month previously, uh, about 1.3 million participants logged in. So we're roughly at the where the people who who regularly habitually log into their account have set up access. And again, in the past, we had 2 million participants who never created a login to their account. So we we, we think that in terms of people who are were rushing to get a login, that's we've hit that. And then it'll be incremental as people. Who may have held off because they've read stuff in the paper and they're thinking, "I can just wait on that," and then they can do those over the next coming weeks and months. Um, but we've had uh, over four million logins to people's my account in the last since June 1st through through July 4th. So people are able to process, and it goes without saying that we are still really focused like a laser on the challenges of getting through at the call center because that really continues to be the long pole in the tent
0: yeah those were the two pain points weren't they kim the people that would have trouble setting up their accounts in the first place and then they would have trouble so they'd want to call and talk to a human and had trouble getting through what's the call center mitigation look like and how how long do you expect to continue that surge that you had in the call center
2: Well, we have hired, or our contractor has, has hired. We went from, started with 485 call center people. Um, As of June 21st, we had 804 and we're adding an additional 150 by the end of this week. Um, What is challenging of course is the labor market. It's not easy to hire people, but also, what What is challenging for us is previously we averaged about 8,300 calls per day. Right now, we're averaging about 35,000 calls a day. And so when you ask, you know, when do you think it'll level off? Because the call volumes are remaining so high above our previous averages, it's we're we're hard pressed to answer that mm-hmm. question um, because it seems to be a whole combination of of issues. And we don't don't know quite how to address that. That's what we're working working through.
0: What are you seeing as far as the trend goes? Is it holding pretty steady at thirty five thousand a day? It's, it's you haven't seen relief on that yet. It sounds like.
2: No, it's been pretty steady. It was ninety thousand calls the first day. Yeah. Um, which is why no one could get through on that first day, um, and and it's holding steady at thirty five thousand calls. And again, we're trying to um, identify where where people are having issues and try to proactively put information out there to help people, you know, get around. Uh, or or be be informed and for example uh last week we put out uh, a fact sheet because participants are going to get two quarter two statements they're going to get one from the old record keeper from april 1st to may 26th and then they'll get another one from the new record keeper june 1st to june 30th well that' is surely going to confuse many people. Um, And so we put out a fact sheet. We just want people to be aware that it's coming and aware that um, it's not someone scamming you and it's not a different TSP and, you know, remain calm. Because of course, if those... The recipients of those then add to the call volume where we're not helping anybody.
0: Are you getting a sense? Are you able to get a sense from the call center agents about the trajectory of the call? I imagine at the beginning, it was pretty much all I can't log on. And I wonder if that's changing over time as people get further into the system and have different problems than they did at the beginning. That's what what kind of is contributing, do you think, to that continuation of of staying at that thirty five thousand level?
2: It's um, I th- yes, it has evolved. Um, there's still some account access issues. Uh, you know some people still have trouble um, So that's I think a, a subset of it. And then there are people who are wanting to to do a transaction, a loan, residential loan or withdrawal and the system is different. the process is different. and so they want someone to walk them through and explain that to them. There's, there's that. And then people just have, um, you know, individual questions. I, I, um, you know, I'm trying to roll money in and I know it left the old account and where is it in the new account? Right. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, uh, it's a combination of a whole bunch of things. It's the regular 8,000, right? Because the 8,000 was driven by people having just questions and then those just just questions on top of all of the other new questions yeah. is what's yielding the 35,000.
0: What I'm getting at is that it kind of sounds like the tenor of the calls is changing. It's changing more to how do I do something on the system? I don't know how it works, not it
2: doesn't work. Exactly. And I would say, you know, in terms of it doesn't work, it is in fact working. You know, we have processed Forty-five thousand loans in the month. We've we've processed three hundred and twenty-two thousand withdrawals. So the system is working. It's just a matter of becoming used to um, a new system and new terminology, right? We change. It's no longer an interfund transfer. It's no longer contribution allocations. So new new terminology on top of a new system. Um, is right for questions.
0: One of the questions I imagine you're getting a ton of calls about is the mutual fund window. This is a feature that people have asked for for a long time that's never been available in the thrift savings plan before. And I'm reading from the materials that your board got at this, uh, at the most recent monthly meeting, uh, mutual fund window allows eligible participants to work through the new portal to buy and sell mutual funds with access to more than 5,000 funds. And uh, the fees are detailed. And we'll put a link to those uh, in the show notes at podcast.com today so people can see them. Do you have any data yet on the kind of uptake that you're getting on the mutual fund window, Kim? Because like I said, it's something that... That there's a certain subset of participants that have been saying for years, I want to be able to do this. I wonder if they're actually doing it yet.
2: It, they are. Um, 3,000 people have created a mutual fund window account. And by that, I mean, they went through so that that makes them they don't have to move any money. It just makes them eligible to see the search engine. Um, and you know go through and alter see what what is there you know search by whatever criteria is of interest to them and so about 3300 people have created that account and then of those about 1100 people have actually moved 55 million dollars so um, you know there have been a relatively sizable amount of money going into the mutual fund
0: window. Yeah, that's a fair amount of money for that number of people considering the restriction that you can only put a quarter of your money into the mutual fund windows. The 75% of it at least has to stay in your in the traditional funds the TSP offers.
2: Exactly.
0: All right, um, congratulations to you and your colleagues at the TSP on your federal employee viewpoint survey numbers for uh, 2021, the numbers are out now. Uh, you got about two thirds of your people that responded um most of the people that responded 52 percent been federal government for 10 years or longer and uh the numbers down the line especially in the engagement numbers there are some anomalies but it appears that you're ahead of the federal government as a whole in most of these categories kim are there some of these that the, the leadership tsp is happier about than others
2: I think we're happy that we got the response rate. You know, it was an off year, it was last fall. And so it was out of cycle. So we're pleased that people participated. Obviously we take this very seriously that's why we report them out at our board meeting. Um, And we're always trying to figure out better ways to communicate, clearer ways to communicate. You know, what questions do um, employees have that we can answer? But um, we take them very seriously, and we are pleased um, that, as you said, for the most part, we are trending, either staying still or trending up. Um, And people were particularly um, pleased with the uh, COVID responses and the updates. That, to me, was was a good thing.
0: Kim Weaver, a lot to cover this time. Thanks very much for coming on. I appreciate your time.
2: Thanks, Francis.
0: You can read more about the TSP in today's show notes at Podcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows, and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like The Daily Scoop Podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the show. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher help me put the show together every day, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop podcast is back tomorrow with the Commissioner of the Public Building Service, Nina Albert. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks very much for listening.